This episode of the Power Connect podcast is brought to you by Cleantech's Greening the Grid Through Collaboration. People love to hype the stories where somebody's pointing fingers at somebody else. The reality is all of those industries have come together really well to figure out how to work effectively together to make sure that we don't have a repeat of URI and we don't have continued grid failures. It is something that everybody that's involved is working hard to figure out how to do better. And as we increase different energy sources into the grid, it's going to become more complicated. Welcome into the Power Connect podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode number five of the show rolls along today, and we've got another great episode on tap for you as we welcome to the show Miss Jane Stricker, who is the Senior Vice President for Energy Transition at the Greater Houston Partnership. She's also the Executive Director of the Houston Energy Transition Initiative, and as I like to joke around with Jane, she is the hype woman for all things energy transition that's going on here in the city of Houston. And of course, look, if you're here in the city of Houston, if you're in the energy transition, you know the role that Houston is playing. And of course, the question I pose to her later on, and you'll catch it in the show, is we know what's going on locally, but what is the rest of the country? What is their perception of the great city of Houston when it comes to the energy transition? So we get into that with her. Of course, uh, they've, they're putting on this week the Future of Global Energy Conference, three-day event that's going down here in Houston. And of course, she's going to be a moderator and of course, you know, great event. We're going to talk to her about that. She'll kind of lay out what you're going to expect from there. Uh, we also get into the workforce uh, of what's going on with this energy transition. We know all the initiatives, we know all the objectives. We know everything that's been laid out as far as that goes, but is the workforce, uh, are we talking enough about that? Are we going to have enough people to fill all the jobs that are going to be required to make this energy transition go? We discuss that. And of course, we also get into the grid because look, if you're going to be in Texas, we're going to talk ERCOT. We got to find out what Miss Stricker thinks about the grid. So great stuff from Jane Stricker. Wouldn't expect any less. Glad she's made her debut here on the Power Connect. You will not be disappointed. All right, real quick, got to lay out the rest rest of the week. We've got three great programs for you on tap this week. Jane, today, our Clean Tech's Grid Next Rewind, that's going to go down on Wednesday. Excited about that. Uh, you're going to hear from Lubbock Power and Light. You're going to hear from Peter Kelly Detweiler. You're going to hear from the folks over at Gleam, which is part of the Texas Tech Group over there in Lubbock. And then, of course, you're also going to hear from our co-chair, Miss Melissa Miller, on so far what's gone down with Clean Tech this summer. It's been a busy summer already and still plenty of great stuff headed your way from a Clean Tech perspective leading to the big Grid Next Dallas event in September. And then, of course, on Friday, Miss Sonia Clayton, CEO and founder of Virtual Intelligence Providers. She's also the founder of the Global Energy Training transition, a nonprofit helping folks sort of reskill and retool their skills for the energy transition. And Miss Sonia Clayton has a phenomenal story. I can't wait for you guys to hear that on Friday. So let's turn our attention now to today's episode. Miss Jane Stricker, Senior Vice President, Greater Houston Partnership, all things energy transition. She'll be moderating a panel at the Future of Global Energy. We're going to be talking hydrogen. We're talking workforce. You name it. We're talking investment into the city of Houston, the role it's going to play in the energy transition. So much to get into and no person better to do it with than the one, the only Miss Jane Stricker. Think about the fact that like the McKinsey work that they've done for us and helping us understand the size and scale, you know, they, they were fundamental in helping us develop the energy transition strategy for Houston. But, you know, in looking at it and solving for net zero, they estimate $9.2 trillion a year of investment necessary, right? Yeah. To, to get to net zero. Think about, and that's 
if we just invested in things <laughs> that are real that make sense, right? Think about the amount of capital, like from the dot-com era and all that, the amount of capital that is going into stuff that will ultimately go nowhere. The thing that I think makes Houston so unique about the energy transition is we can't afford to just throw out the billions and trillions of dollars of investment that's already been made in an existing energy system, right? We just can't. We can't. Because that $9.2 trillion of needed investment becomes exponentially larger when you talk about replacing an entire energy system. We have to find a way to integrate clean tech solutions into existing energy infrastructure. That's the only way this is going to work. And that's why Houston is so well positioned because the industrials are here, the energy companies are here, the power companies are here. ERCOT gives us the perfect grid structure to, to figure out how do you make it work when you've got all the this existing investment asset and infrastructure. How do you, I mean, it's like a massive decarbonization effort with all kinds of different technology solutions. Last role at BP, I was supporting City of Houston exactly. and Climate Action Plan. So that sort of that was where you and I met, and so that's why it feels like longer because that was doing very specific BP supporting the City of Houston's Climate Action Plan. This new role at the partnership is more broadly how do I support industry in Houston in the energy transition? I feel like internally here in the city. You know, the city of Houston, we, we were on a call with uh, your guy, Jose, last week, uh, Melissa and I from Cleantex. And so we had a, you know, and he talked about, you know, internally or locally here, you know, folks get it as far as the energy transition is concerned. How do you feel that perception is nationally, though? Are we still considered an oil and gas town or is the narrative starting to change a little bit that, yes, Houston is a very inviting city to the clean tech and renewable side of things? I think it's starting to shift. I don't think we're there yet. I think in pockets, we're getting there. I think in environments where they understand the necessity of incorporating exist new technologies into existing energy systems, they understand the importance of a place like Houston. I do think that a lot of the startups and the, the clean tech industry is starting to see Houston as a place where they can deploy big technology solutions. Build your technology in Boston, build your technology in, in Silicon Valley, build it in New York. You know, those things are happening. But when it comes time to take that technology idea and integrate it into the energy system, this is where that has to happen. So ultimately, this is where you want to be. This is where the decision makers are. This is where the investment makers are. This is where, you know, this is where the energy system comes together. This is where the integration happens. And I think particularly in this landscape over the last 12 months with everything that's happened between Russia and Ukraine and the, and the strain that that is putting on our existing energy system, I think people are starting to see that it is more complicated <laughs> than just <laughs> turning on more wind and solar. It, it just is. It is, more, it is a more complicated issue. You can't flip that switch. We can't just magically make more energy. You know, we can't magically get more oil out of the ground and, and refine more. We, we, are, we are at capacity in the U.S. on refining. So we have to find a way to make these things all fit together because it has to be a, a, a transition through time. And how much of that is 
you know, I've, I've talked to several folks throughout, you know, re- clean tech, renewables, and the oil and gas side of things. And, the, you know, the common refrain has been that oil and gas has a branding problem, right? And they haven't been the best at messaging. You guys were in the renewable space years before people ever re- realized it. All right. Obviously, Shell, I mean, I think I saw an article the other day, Shell's actually selling renewable power back to, to Texas, which, you know, would, you know, outside of Texas might blow people's minds. But here, I don't think it's as big a surprise because, again, renewables and, and, and oil and gas work together a lot better. It's not as adversarial yeah. here in the state of Texas as it is the uh-huh. rest of the country. How much of it is, too, that just, again, folks outside of Texas don't realize the strides that have been made from oil and gas when it comes to the renewable energy push? Yeah, I think there's probably a bit of both. So yesterday I had to go down to Corpus Christi for a Texas Economic Development Council. And I'm driving down to Corpus and they just had, Chenier just announced this big LNG investment decision that'll run out of Corpus. And as I'm driving down, I'm seeing hundreds of wind turbines yeah. <laughs> along the coastline, right? And and so there you see very visibly the integration of all of the above energy solutions in a way that you don't necessarily see in other places. You know, it's hard to see windmills, it's hard to see solar farms when you're in urban environments. And so it's hard to see the integration of those things the way you would see it out driving around but you know ultimately texas is one of the biggest wind power producers and one of the largest solar producers in the country and so it's happening it's a big state with a lot of different regions and everybody telling messages and so ultimately it comes down to we all need to do a better job of telling the texas energy story and working together to get that message out that Texas, whether you're in Austin, whether you're in Houston, whether you're in San Antonio, Dallas, you know, or the Permian Basin, this is where we, we are one of the largest energy producers. I think somebody said yesterday, if it were a country, an oil producing country, we would be second only to OPEC in terms of being a producer, right? So this is where energy lives. And I think people are starting to see that it's more than just oil and gas. And then industry decarbonization. A lot of these, I think a lot of the messaging that needs to come out sooner rather than later is these industries have made net zero commitments on their own scope one and two emissions. So whether they're operating, you know, onshore gas fields in the Permian Basin or offshore rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, they are trying to figure out how to reduce the emissions associated with every single barrel of oil or gas that they're pulling out of the ground. And they're, they're implementing, you know, low carbon renewable energy solutions to replace diesel generators in their operations. They're looking at how do they reduce methane flaring? How do we offtake that, what would have gone out into the atmosphere and turn it into useful energy in a more effective way than we can do with the pipeline system that we have today, you know, with Bitcoin mining and and things like that, that are potential solutions in the short term to, to some of those issues. The big decarbonization opportunities for how we operate refineries, how we operate pet chems plants, you know, hydrogen will play a big role in that. And if you can use blue hydrogen, which takes the emissions out of natural gas, and then use that as your fuel to run your refining operation or your second operation, all of a sudden you're cleaning up several steps in that supply chain and you're significantly reducing your CO2 emissions. And so that's where I think 
this industry has so much strength in understanding all of the complexities around the way these operations work and, and the places where you can make changes that will have significant impact on uh, the level of industrial emissions. And, and so that, that's the message I think industry needs to, to do a better job of telling right now. And that's part of what we're trying to do is create that unified narrative around how industry is already working to decarbonize themselves. They're not, they're, we talk about CCUS, we talk about hydrogen, we talk about technologies that are interesting and novel and have potential down the road. And, and CCUS, honestly, is technology that we've been using for over 40 years in the US. Yeah. US has been the largest CCUS um, project developer in, in the world. But there are things that we're already, that industry is already doing today that is fundamentally improving the efficiency and, and reducing the emissions associated with their operations. They just don't tell that story because for them, that's business as usual. That's not big project announcements, you know what I mean? And getting them to think differently about telling that story and, and creating that narrative around every bit helps, every everything matters. We have to look at every opportunity and, and efficiency and improving operational efficiency is a huge lever that we can use in you know all of our industrial activities to, to make meaningful emissions reductions. And that dovetails beautifully because you uh, and, and you might be the biggest hype woman for all things energy transition in the city of Houston. Uh, I'll tell you what, there's not a panel that I haven't seen you on. Uh, look, have have panel will travel, uh, Jane Stricker, uh, which I appreciate. I'll tell you what, and, and, and you always deliver, which I appreciate. And like and and and, and again. Having sat through some of these panels, it takes a little something special to be engaging and compelling in some of these conversations, right? So uh, my hat's off to you because, like I said, I saw you at the uh, the real conversation over at Rice uh, a few months back, and and that was and and, and shout out to our girl Kay McCall because I thought she did a great job putting those putting my everybody favorite, together. So I'm going to stop you there because my favorite thing that Kay said at that conference that I have stolen and I continue to use is synergies, not silos. And that's where I think Houston has its greatest strength in bringing together renewable energy players, new technology developers, the oil and gas industry, industrial players, everybody coming together to have a conversation about how do we integrate all of our solutions so, to get us to the best place possible. And, and Kay, is, she has so much vision around how to bring all that together. Um, and Again, I, I, I would say that, that that is what makes this geography so special is the ability to, for all of that to come together. Well, and I expect that we're going to see a lot of that coming together this week. You guys put on the Future of Global Energy here in Houston. Now, is that a Greater Houston Partnership event? You guys putting that on? And is that, I'm guessing yes. that's the first of its kind that you guys have ever put on? Or No, it's not. Actually, so this will be our... So this is the second annual Future of Global Energy Conference. Okay. And the first one last year was the launch of the Houston Energy Transition Strategy. And so that was where we published, the partnership published the strategy that became the Houston Energy Transition Initiative, which is the work that I lead. Gotcha. And so we laid out that vision for Houston through the energy transition, and, and how we can leverage Houston's energy leadership to really um, take advantage of, of the opportunity that exists with the energy transition to create 
more jobs, more economic growth, more opportunity for this region through the transition than if we just sort of let it play out and and, and didn't lean in and, and take advantage of the opportunity. You've got a, you know, day two, day three, you guys are going to have a, just a, a slew of folks talking all things carbon capture. You're obviously going to be talking climate change. You're talking hydrogen. A little bit about hydrogen because, look, hydrogen's one of those topics that, you know, depending upon what side of the aisle or I don't want to say aisle, but what side of the debate you fall on, you know, look, we're years away from it being a mainstream deal. Uh, it's closer than you think. I mean, it really just depends on who you talk to. When are we going to see hydrogen in a mainstream application well i mean i mean i know we um, do i know we do in refineries yeah. and what have you but i yeah. mean as far as like you know if we're gonna if it's gonna be part of this real clean when are evolution, we gonna see clean hydrogen when are we gonna see clean what is it gonna clean. lead what is it gonna be a you know when are we gonna see it be a major player in the clean energy so I revolution think, I, I think it depends on a couple of things so first and foremost the technologies are being developed and and some technologies are closer than others all of those technologies will depend on economics, right? When can you deliver hydrogen, clean hydrogen, whether it's blue, pink, gold, green, pick your color. Polka dot, I think that's be, next. You have to be able to deliver hydrogen in a cost that's competitive with hydrogen today. There will be some sort of a, a green premium as they would call it. I mean, there there is some willingness to, and, and we're starting to see more of it to pay more for, for clean energy solutions. But ultimately, the economics will drive the speed at which we will see clean hydrogen deploy at scale. Now, I think there are some things that could happen that will make it move faster, particularly when you start to think about hydrogen, clean hydrogen from carbon capture. So if we can get carbon capture, <laughs> You know, I mean, if we can get a class six well permitted in Texas and, you know, get some of those regulatory hurdles landed, there are projects that would, would likely be in the money from a carbon capture standpoint in, in this region. And that will facilitate new hydrogen projects, because if you can, if you can decarbonize the, the gas, you can create hydrogen, you can use the the hydrogen to, to do fuel switching. Um, and, and if you use that in industrial scale, that's pretty significant. I think we will see small applications of clean hydrogen happen much more quickly. You know, when you start to think about hydrogen for transportation of large vehicles, if you think about hydrogen for specialty vehicles like forklifts and, and heavy equipment, ports and things like that, there's definitely an opportunity. I think the smaller the demand driver, the faster we will start to see some things go to market because you can get those developed more quickly and, and there are less regulatory hurdles. You can make them work economically. The bigger the projects get, obviously, the, the, the more challenging they'll get from an economic standpoint. And you have to be able to connect the demand drivers with the supply chains. And, and that's the piece that I think we're still figuring out. And, and the Center of Houston's for Houston's Future launched a paper at the end of May um, on behalf of the Houston Energy Transition Initiative and the partnership, working with McKinsey and a whole bunch of companies that lays out that roadmap to uh, Houston as the hub of a, a clean hydrogen um, cluster 
so to speak, here in the Gulf Coast region. And so it, it sort of becomes the epicenter of a Texas clean hydrogen strategy, building out you know, the potential for clean hydrogen export, for the different supply and demand drivers. But again, we have to figure out what do those pathways look like. For, for something like CCUS, we know where the sources of emissions are and we know where we need to send the CO2. In hydrogen, we just don't know yet all the, the demand drivers that will exist and at what size and scale to know which supply solutions, which technologies will make the most sense. What would a hydrogen hub mean to the city of Houston? In the long term, we're looking at probably as much as 150 to 200,000 new jobs in the region. Um, we're looking at potentially, you know, 200 million tons of CO2 emissions abated. Um, you know, and that's a 2050 view, but but it, it, it would be significant. I mean, if you think about the size and scale of the emissions that exist in our industrial cluster along the ship channel, I mean, that's meaningful. You're not trying to do projects in, in a thousand different places, little tiny projects. You know, the, the impact of doing something in this region is significant and when you're right on the port and you have the ability to, to be an exporter of a clean energy project or clean energy product, that, that then opens up a lot more. I mean, we've got geography that will allow us to store CO2. We've got great geology that will allow us to do geothermal. We have great geology that will allow us to continue to get great natural gas cheap from the, the Permian. I mean, when you add up all of the assets that this region has, there's no combination of that asset anywhere else in the world. And so this is where I think that there is the most potential for the broadest range of clean hydrogen solutions. You mentioned something about there being, you know, the the jobs that will add to the region as well. And, of course, like you said, it's going to be over, uh, you know, we're talking about a 20, 25-year period. But uh, Kevin Doffing, who we both know, big, big, uh, you know, clean energy advocate here, posted a graphic the other day on LinkedIn talking about how um, they expect there to be 135,000 jobs added to the state of Texas as part of this clean energy revolution. Now, one thing from the conferences I've been to, when you talk to CEOs, you talk to folks that are in the industry, that's all great. Let's not get that confused. But, you know, where are all these folks going to come from? Uh, is that I, I feel like one of the conversations that maybe isn't being you know broadcast loudly enough is that, yes, we're all we, we're all about the innovation. We're all about the technology. But is workforce going to be a big bugaboo when this is all said and done? I think workforce is definitely a challenge. We need to understand what do those jobs look like? I think we talk a lot about clean energy jobs, but we don't necessarily get specific on those jobs. I mean, one of the things we're seeing is, is Houston is becoming a hotbed for battery manufacturing. Um, and so manufacturing jobs are going to be critical, but we need the right skill sets. We need the right capabilities. Some of these technologies, we don't even quite know yet what the skill sets will be that are needed in those jobs of the future to be able to prepare ourselves. I mean, I think, you know, the University of Houston starting their energy transition program at the university, you know, that sort of 
that work, you know, some of the, the community colleges that are looking at EV tech programs, manufacturing programs, how can we start thinking about what are those jobs going to look like and how do we make sure that we are creating the right skill set within our existing population, for one thing. I mean, as we transition jobs that are traditional oil and gas jobs, a lot of those will convert to clean energy jobs if, if that's how we're going to, to describe them, right? So if I'm a geologist today searching for oil and gas, tomorrow I may be a geologist that's searching for the right location to store CO2 yeah. in, a, in a permanent sequestration well. So the job itself changes, but the skill set needed to do it doesn't change. And so there's a bit of a lot of new jobs, but some of those will be jobs that existed in another form in traditional energy that become new energy jobs. And then some of it is we need to figure out what, what exactly are those jobs and the skill sets and how we make sure that we're creating opportunities for people that live here in Houston and not just importing people for jobs instead of giving folks that are here on the ground in Houston the opportunity for those jobs. The future of global energy going down this week. Tell the folks at home that um, haven't been to one or haven't, you know, maybe they've, they've, they've seen it on you know, LinkedIn or wherever. What, 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 are, what are folks going to get and what are, you, uh, what are you looking most forward to over these next three days? Yeah, I think there's a couple of great things. So on uh, Wednesday, the main event, the luncheon event, um, we've got uh, Bobby Tudor, who is the chairman of the Houston Energy Transition Initiative. He was the, the chair of the Greater Houston Partnership that stood up and said, Houston has a responsibility and an opportunity to lead the energy transition. And that's what kicked all this work off. So he is the chairman. He's going to talk about what have we done in Hedy so far? What are the working groups that we have? What progress have we made? What are we seeing in the landscape? And then we've got Marty Durbin, who is from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and he is the president of the Global Energy Policy Institute. And he's going to sort of set the landscape of here's what's happening in energy nationally, globally. Here's how Houston fits into that. Here's why what we're doing in Houston is so important to the nation's energy security, to our long-term low carbon energy solutions. How does, you know, how does Houston position itself in that national landscape and in the global landscape? And so I think that'll be a really great discussion. I'm really looking forward to money being here. And then on day three, we've got the virtual events. Anybody can join from anywhere. They don't have to be in Houston. That one is virtual. We've got three concurrent tracks, one on CCUS, one on hydrogen, and one on industrial decarbonization. Each one of them has three sessions. The first session for each will be a bit of a global landscape. Here's what's happening in those three areas broadly. The second uh, track for each of them will be focused on what's happening in Houston. And the third session for each of them will be focused on what, the innovation landscape. What are we seeing in new technologies? And so I think it's a really great mix of, you know, what's playing out nationally and globally Where's Houston and all of that? And then what do we see coming down the path? And so they, those should all be really, really good sessions. And then um, we're closing out the day with a fantastic panel on climate equity and environmental justice. And so we've got Priya Zachariah from the Mayor's Office of um, Resilience and Sustainability. We've got John Hall from the Houston Advanced Research Center. We've got Mike Webster from Houston Community College. 
talking about workforce. And we've got uh, Mark Crawford, the head of DE&I at BP, and they'll be having a really great discussion around how do we make sure that through this energy transition, we're creating opportunities for everyone in Houston to benefit and make life better for everyone. So uh, whether it's workforce development, whether it's emissions impact, whether it's pollution concerns, you know, whatever the issues are, we need to make sure that through the energy transition, we're looking at all of those issues and continuing to, to create opportunities for everybody. And then you're taking a break from being on the panel and you're going to moderate a panel as well. I am. Is this your, is this your moderating debut? It's not. I actually moderated two panels at South by Southwest. Okay. Um, we, we had a panel on uh, innovation at South by Southwest, which was so easy. I mean, like those guys, Syzygy Plasmonics, Moji from uh, Symbita, Yeah. you get those guys started and they just go. And so for me, moderating is, is great because all I have to do is get the conversation started. The hard part for me is just letting the conversation go and not feeling like I need to be in it. So. Well, and then, and then, of course, like you said, when they get going, then realize, that, okay, I gotta, I gotta cut these guys off in yeah. like five minutes and find a good spot to, uh, you know, interject and close this thing out. Real quick, you know, I gotta plug the fact that being part of Clean Techs, we're gonna be doing some partnership with you guys in September that we're looking forward to. Don't you think Texas has rebounded fairly well, and that the collaboration across the state from organizations, from companies, has been a lot better than maybe what's been posted about? Absolutely, 100%. Whatever you read in the media is usually either far to one side or far to the other side, right? We live in a world right now where the the messaging that gets promoted, the messaging that gets pushed in, in a lot of cases in mainstream media is far to one side or the other and not what I would call that rational middle ground, right? Like we got to find that place where we can have open, honest conversation and see each other's perspectives and recognize that we might not all agree on everything, but people love to hype the stories where somebody's pointing fingers at somebody else. The reality is all of those industries have come together really well to figure out how to work effectively together to make sure that we don't have a repeat of URI and we don't have continued grid failures. It is something that everybody that's involved is working hard to figure out how to do better. And as we increase different energy sources into the grid, it's going to become more complicated. And look, when you start to think about electrifying everything, we're not solving for a 1x problem anymore. We're solving for a 3, 4, 5x problem. You know, you talk about electrifying cars, you talk about electrifying oil and gas operations that have traditionally run off of diesel engines. You know, all of that is going to put added strain on the grid. And we have to figure out a way to grow and improve the power management system if we think electrification is going to be the solution to a lot of the, the decarbonization activities. And I think that's where I think people like Kay and, and others that promote this idea of synergies and not silos. This is a city where we have over 100 wind companies that have a footprint here in Houston. There are over 50 solar companies that have a footprint here in Houston. And that's in addition to the traditional oil and gas companies. You know, Greentown Labs has 60 startups, you know, and then you got the guys like the digital wildcatters guys that are working with the, the tech side or the digital side of oil and gas and energy management. All of these groups are starting to come together. And I think these coalitions create a great opportunity to connect the dots 
and say, hey, let's bring, you know, let's bring real into this work or, you know, I'm doing some work on decarbonization and we're working on building out some roundtables. You know, we're going to work with the Energy Industries Council because that's the forum for all of the energy supply chain companies and the EPC companies. And, and they're a perfect group to bring into this decarbonization conversation so we can talk about the whole supply chain. That's where I, I think that's the real value that the nonprofits and, and particularly the Greater Houston Partnership, I mean, our, our ability to convene and bring those groups together is, is a critical, valuable element. And it's what our, our member companies see us as, as adding value. So the more we can bring those coalitions together and bring groups together to, to be open and have conversations and figure out how to work together, I, I feel like then I'm, I'm delivering on my strategy. Get you out of here with this, Ms. Stricker. You're probably the busiest woman when it comes to the energy transition in the city of Houston, which is which is saying a lot. What's on uh, What's on your agenda? What's on your radar for the rest of 2022? So we've got four working groups already that we're working. Uh, CCUS Hydrogen Capital Formation, which is bringing together investment banks, PE firms, and VC firms to look at what does funding the energy transition in Houston look like, and how do we make Houston the epicenter of energy transition investment, right? People always want to talk about New York being the, the place where energy transition investment is happening, but it should be here in Houston. So that's a big piece of what we're, what we're going to be working on the back half year. We just launched this decarbonization working group that is looking at across all industrial sectors, how can we start to create that unified narrative around the decarbonization efforts that are underway and the opportunities that exist learn from each other, share those best practices, and figure out how that plays for the entire value chain. So that's a big piece of work. And then the next big piece is power management. When, you know, Centerpoint just just joined uh, Hetty as uh, one of the, the most recent members and working with them to figure out how will we make sure that as more and more things become electrified, as we look more and more towards uh, energy efficiency programs, uh, electrification programs, all of those things, how do we manage that? How do we prepare our grid for resiliency, for ongoing management, and to, to handle the, the type of load that we're talking about putting on it over the next 25 years? Thank you so much for that, Miss Jane Stricker. You can catch all of the Power Connect podcasts. There's only five of them, but stay tuned because we got more coming out, as you heard already. Uh, but check them out over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. It helps with the algorithm. And look, I think we do a pretty dadgum good job, if I don't say so myself. If you got any questions and or concerns, quibbles, complaints, or just want to be part of the show, because why wouldn't you be, give me an email, fred at thepowerconnect.net, or just give me a follow, connect with us on LinkedIn, Fred Davis, or connect with the show at the power connect at the power connect once again grid next clean text coming up on wednesday sonia clayton coming up on friday you do not want to miss it this has been the power connect podcast connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time